0: When the paraclete comes, he shall give testimony uh, to me. And the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. So we uh, celebrate this beautiful reality of our Lord's ascension into heaven. And before our Lord ascends into heaven, he tells the uh, apostles to wait. To wait in Jerusalem. Why? To wait and prepare so that they can be disposed to receive the Holy Ghost, because the church is is a divine work. It's not some uh, human institution that is there to make people feel good. It's a divine work of God, and it's uh, going to be uh, founded upon the Holy Ghost, but the Holy Ghost is going to come upon the apostles who need to be well disposed to receive him. Uh, And then in receiving him, they will be fitting instruments of the, uh, of the Holy Ghost. who will teach them to give testimony of our Lord. And uh, we want to uh, give you a bit of an insight, dear friends, today on how do we become uh, good instruments of our Lord. And we might not uh, necessarily want to hear what I have to say because it's quite be quite painful to hear these things. But in a time when we live today, dear friends, we have to be honest, we live in a time of universal apostasy from God. And the Catholic Church, which is the vehicle of salvation, has come to stand for next to nothing. It has become, uh, like the Jewish nation in the time of our Lord, uh, really apostate, have rejected our Lord. And we can pause and reflect, and I'm taking most of my thoughts from a a brilliant uh, biblical scholar who lived in the ages of faith and whose works are translated into English by um, uh, Franciscan monks. But his, his insight is to ask the question, which many of us can ask, why did the Jews as, as a whole uh, not recognize our Lord for who he was? And this, this question is very important because we can ask the same question today. Why do most Catholics today no longer recognize the church and our Lord for who he is? And the answer to both uh, questions are very similar, very similar. First, as St. Thomas Aquinas points out, that the people were corrupted by the wickedness of their leaders, and that we can say today, the wickedness of our leaders has corrupted the greater number of the hearts and the minds of the people. As the old saying goes, the the fish rots at the head. And the second uh, reason is because to some extent, to some extent, we can say a little bit, to some extent, when the Jews read the scriptures, uh, there was somewhat a lack of clarity. In other words, as St. Thomas himself points out, that uh, an old lady today understands more Than in in about our Lord, then all the prophets of the Old Testament combined understood. Uh, They only understood in part, and it is what this uh, uh, Doctor Paul Heinrich explains. He says that it is it is a rich, full, and deep etched picture that the prophets have uh, given us of the Messiah, and yet none of these divinely inspired men, the prophets, however, left a complete portrait peculiarly his own. Rather, each added new lines to pictures or picture inherited from previous predecessors, according to his own natural genius and the supernatural enlightenment granted to him. Emphasis and approach could and did vary even to the extent of seemingly contradictory assertions about the Messiah. For example, the Messiah is a man and God a glorious king and yet a man of sorrows sovereign ruler of the world and yet despised by fellow men persecuted and yet uh, and put to death the son of david and yet uh, uh, born of a virgin warrior and prince of peace he dies and yet lives forever he redeems from sin while shattering all in his paths he is uh, the desired by every nation upon which he inflicts judgment nevertheless These many points made by various prophets did harmonize to form a unified picture, one destined to fill the people with the trust in God's mercy and goodness and with the longing uh, uh, for the day when they could worship under the scepter of the Messiah King without sin. And the day when guilt had been expiated through the self immolation of Yahweh's servant and all were united. In a single faith, of course, only in the light of fulfillment do these seemingly discordant notes blend perfectly together in symphonic unison to the astonishment and amazement of every age and race. And that's why uh, our Lord, both uh, throughout his ministry, even we see somewhat in when our Lord was uh, in the temple at the age of 12, he was asking questions and he was interrogating the leaders. Why? Because he was helping them piece together these prophecies and put them in context so they will recognize him when he begins his public ministry. Uh, and that's why even his public ministry, our Lord asked him, who do they say is the son of the, the Messiah? And they say, oh, the son of David. Now, Lord, so how can he be David's son when uh, David calls him Lord? But you don't call your son Lord. So our Lord uh, for them tries to put these these prophecies together and give them the, the complete picture. But you also have to understand that the Jews were not Protestants. They, don't, they didn't follow the Bible alone. They also believed in the oral tradition which gave them a deeper insight than just the, the, the Bible alone uh, on the person of the Messiah. So they were not totally excused in grasping who he was. But The third reason uh, is the heart of the reason why they didn't recognize him. It's the heart of the reason why many do not recognize the church uh, and our Lord for who he is today. And this is what uh, this author rightly points out. He says, The great mass of the people had formed for themselves a picture of the Redeemer that did not harmonize with Christ's spirit and teaching, a deliverer from sin, one who would judge Israel, one who is poor, who demands self-denial and renunciation of sinful ways, one whose kingdom has no show of power at its disposal and which lacks all pomp and splendor. Such a Messiah had uh, 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 not been the object of Israel's longing already in pre-exilic days. David's great descendant was expected to break the yoke of Rome and make Israel foremost among the nations. The messianic kingdom of Christ is a kingdom of grace. It is not a kingdom of external show, pomp, and political maneuvering. In other words, the Messiah that they wanted, contrary to even what the, the, the scriptures had pointed out, was not the Messiah that Christ was. He wasn't a, a, a going to be a political ruler to make the Jews at the, at the head of the picking order in life. And they they didn't want a spiritual kingdom. They wanted a a worldly kingdom. And today, today most Catholics are the same. They don't want a religion that speaks of sacrifice, of sin, of renunciation, uh, of abandonment of this world. They want a a nice religion that makes them feel good about whatever it is that they want to feel good about. Uh, And so today we are embracing the Catholic Church all sorts of perversions all sorts of errors, lies, because we want to embrace that. Uh, And for the most most part, as as a result, nobody really goes to church anymore, particularly in our country, uh, because religion has become uh, really to stand for nothing. There's no no real motivating reason to go to church anymore. And those who still go to church, I, I sometimes ask myself, do they even know why they go to church? And a lot of them they don't know. They just go out of habit uh, and some sort of conviction that they, it's something they should do. But as to why, many of them don't really know uh, as to why. The reality is today uh, we have a, a, a church which is morally bankrupt. And it's very interesting that we saw recently the, uh, the Life Site News put together a whole article on uh, just how. Uh, uh, the, thanks to the hard work of the bishops in the Catholic Church, particularly in Australia, that they have succeeded in alienating an entire generation from the church uh, because of their work of apostasy today. You know, today when someone says to me, such and such priest or bishop died, my response is often, uh, did we know they were alive? Uh, did, did their life make an impact on anybody? Uh, did, did, does anybody notice that they were alive, let alone that they died? And that's a, uh, that's a real indictment today. That's a real sad reality today. Uh, you know, let me give you a contrary example. Uh, last, last, no, last time I was here, I went with one of our faithful, so that it's not just my uh, testimony, uh, for lunch. And one lady came up and said, Father, you associated with the latter mass group here in Singleton. And I said, yeah, can I help you? She said, well, no, I just want to say that um, my daughter, uh, uh, still to this day, she's an adult, married, she, her life was totally impacted by Mrs. Madeleine McCarthy. I said, well, I don't know your daughter at all. She said, yeah, well, my daughter used to bring her when she was a young girl, 14 or 16, used to bring her to mass from time to time. And uh, her, her, this woman impacted the life of my daughter uh, beyond you can imagine. And even when she was getting married, she had some paraphernalia of, of uh, uh, Miss Madeline She attached to her wedding gown to symbolise that Madeline is there, there with her. Thinking, wow, that's, that's how. That's the life of a serious Catholic. That we impact the life of those around us. That our, our death is a major tragedy for them, a major loss for them. And our life was an impacting force upon them. How few Catholics say this today, how few uh, impact the life of others. You know, the Jews when they, when they wanted to push our Lord aside, they would say to him, but we are the children of Abraham. In other words, we don't need you because you know we, we love the prophets. We are children of the prophets. And our Lord later would rightly say, but Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stoned the prophets. When Abraham uh, was alive, how did you treat him? When Moses was alive, you bit his fingers. You shortly bit a, bit a, uh, basically crucified the guy. And many of the prophets, Jeremiah, uh, Isaiah, you put to death. But the facade that, oh, we are children of the prophet. How many today, I often hear this all the time. Oh, if only Padre Pia, we had his parish priest. That, you know, he'd know our sins. You'd crucify him. That's what you'd do to him. Uh, how many, of, you know, he could read souls. And I said, um, from what I can see from the outside, I'm horrified in our faith. Horrified, absolutely horrified. And if I told you just that, what I see on the outside, you'd want to crucify me. Let alone if I told you what I see in your soul, that would be even worse. To hell with the priest today, dear faithful, that tells us anything that doesn't jive with what we want to hear. Today, how many of you hear so many cancelled priests and even within the traditional movement, how many priests are crucified because they said something that goes against Johnny's opinion? How many, oh, Father moved this statue, Father did this. Well, it's not a dogma, it's all right, he meant well. Uh, no, but it didn't go along with my dogma. My dogma is my opinion, my values, my views. But what about the values and the, the truths of our Lord? You know, I explained to somebody recently, don't you notice that the French Revolution took place in a country which was... Catholic, but what it meant was that at the time, the Catholic faith for those people meant absolutely nothing. They believed the lies of the revolution more than their... And they were going to mass. There were hundreds of nuns, priests, religious everywhere. And recently, the French, the French rose up in the millions and protested against their government raising the age for uh, when they uh, retire. In Australia, when the government raised the age, nobody batted with an eyelid. And they have that right to do that. I'm not condemning that. But what I'm astounded at is, is that they were worried about that. They rebelled for several weeks in the millions throughout France. But when, in that same country, when our faith was robbed with the new mass, the new, the new council, all these things, nobody batted an eyelid. Uh, a few priests, a few lay people here and there. But no, not a mass rebellion against the apostasy in the church the new religion being promoted in our churches, the new uh, lies being promoted in our churches. No mass apostasy, no, uh, uh, no mass rebellion against this because our God is our belly. We're worried about uh, the government uh, uh, affecting my income, affecting uh, uh, my lifestyle, but we're not worried about the apostasy in our churches today. But again, you saw this during the covid they they locked our churches and they opened the Woolworths. No one was rebelling about that because our God is our belly. God no longer essential. But all these other things they imposed upon, they were essential. And even some of our faithful got upset. Father, you're not doing this. Well, okay, but they're not dogmas. They're not, they're not essential. It's not a big deal. But the things that are essential, our faithful feel that it's free, that, Father, I can choose this, I can choose that. Well, why? What is your God? In other words, what, what's the heart of the problem? The heart of the problem, and I'm going to give you the heart of the problem and the solution. The heart of the problem is why they didn't recognize our Lord is because they were worldly and spiritually blind. How is it that you have someone like St. Simeon and Anna, they recognize our Lord as the Messiah, the Savior of the people. When he's a little child, he hasn't performed a single miracle for them. Little baby, they recognize him for who he is. As a little baby. Not a, not a single word came from his mouth. Not a single miracle, not a single deed, and they recognize him for who he is. And yet the, the faithful, he does the miracles. He says the most amazing words never heard in the history of humanity. He feeds them in the desert, and yet their response is in the end crucify him. How is that? Because Anna and St. Simeon were mortified. They had a spiritual life. They were prayerful people. There were people whose focus in this life was God and not the, uh, the, the financial or social or the moral benefits that this world had to provide for them. They were not blind. They were well awake to the life of the Spirit. And this is the heart of, of our problem today. Today, most of our faithful have no interior life. They, I remember one of our seminary professors complaining to me. He said, Father, I don't understand. You send the faithful on retreat. And the greater bulk of them that come on retreat don't even know what prayer and meditation are. What have you been doing in your parishes? And I took that to heart. I said, that's right. We've been doing something wrong here. There's no formation of these people. They have no sense of the prayer life. They don't know what meditation is. And I'm not talking about people, dear friends, who have been coming for new, newcomers. I'm talking about people who have gone there 10, 20, 30 years, some of our children born in tradition. They don't know what the prayer life is. They don't know what meditation is. If the parents don't know, well, what chance have the children got? It's a very serious problem here. Empty, hollow men. And the consequences are just going to be disastrous. This is what brought us the revolution of Vatican II and the new mass. Uh, this is something quite frightening for us in our time. And what's even more profound is, very funny, just as I was preparing this sermon, I had one of our laymen been coming for many years, maybe 20, 30, 40 years to our chapter. And he says, Father, I've got a very important question. You asked me a basic question. I said, look, here's the answer. But you know what, what's more astounding for me is the fact that you've been coming to our chapel so long and you don't know the answer to the question, which is in your basic children's catechism. You don't know the answer. That's something wrong with that. There's something profoundly wrong with it. And most of our faithful have never graduated beyond the children's Baltimore catechism. Baltimore catechism number two, the one we teach for primary school, for children. What does that say? Where your treasure is, there your heart is. That's what it says. But what do you? Most of our, our people today have at least a, a basic high school education. So why don't you have that same level of education in your faith where you can read it on your own, you can study it if you want, on your own. I spent years uh, studying the faith on my own before I became a priest and still after I become a priest, studying on my own, uh, reading, studying, praying. There's nothing to stop you. You've got the tools, but it's the heart of the attitude which is here. And that's why uh, we see the, one of the greatest spiritual masters and greatest theologians of the 20th century, uh, Gary Bill Lagrange, speaking on this. And he gives us some profound insight. He says, The interior life is an elevated form of interior conversation of every man. When this conversation becomes or tends to become a conversation with God. In other words, I'd like to think, I'd hope to think, that. Throughout your day, you have a conversation with yourself about things, about life, what you're doing, what you're planning, how life is going. Have a conversation with yourself, talk to yourself, discuss things within yourself. In this intimate discourse, which each man has with himself, the life of the sense of the imagination, of the sense memory, and or the emotions, all take part, as in the case with animals. In addition... There is participation by the mind, the intelligence, which passes judgment on life. There is also a more or less latent act of the will, which is created to love and to uh, the, desire what is good. In this interior state, there is a fundamental love, a basic tendency of the will that differs widely among men a man will judge differently about the ultimate goal to be pursued according to his basic tendency of uh, his will or uh, uh, he, if his will is rectified or not as to what is good or what is evil. All men seek happiness. Some seek it where it is to be found in the true good. Others seek it where it is not and satisfying their sensual sensuality or their pride. Many persons, without being willing it or admitting it, love themselves above all else, and more or less consciously make everything converge upon themselves as if they were the center of the universe. Along with this self-love, and as it were on their side, they also have a somewhat ineffectual love for their family or their country. Such men do not have an interior life, for their interior conversation with themselves is of death rather than of life. Instead of elevating them, it lowers them. According to the gospel, these souls are in a state of spiritual death. The basic tendency of their will is turned away from the true good, away from the sovereign good, which is the principle of all others. What they are really seeking is not truth and the true good of men, or of their family, or of their children, or of their country. On the contrary, they are seeking perpetual pleasure and the money needed to procure it. According to the Christian philosophy, they live by the quest of pleasurable good and of the useful without rising to really desire moral good uh, conceived by right reason as the object of virtue. And that, that is the heart of our problem today. we become pragmatic. Yeah, what works, what, what makes things run for me in my life, rather than people of principle, of prayer, of uh, the vision of above, the focus of above. You know, when, when things go wrong in the world and we take the worldly approach, the worldly fears, there's something wrong there. It means that we are no longer people who judge things from a supernatural perspective. We, I find our faith will have the same... Fears, worries, anxieties, stress, as the pagans do. Their outlook on life is no different. There's a problem there. Uh, The the things that they worry about, the things that they uh, are stressed about, uh, it even makes, I think for a man of God, it makes it harder to have a conversation with anyone today because their focus is all about uh, petty Childish little things i I kind of liken it to imagine being in in, in World War two and there 's bombs going off everywhere, and some some soldier walks up and says where 's my toothpaste? Uh, um, yeah, okay, toothpaste has its place, but in the context of what we are going through it 's absolutely irrelevant you 're about to die and you 're worried about your toothpaste you're about to die and you're worried about this triviality, what he said, what he did, what he thought. Uh, it, it, I, I can't believe the depth of heaviness, lack of any supernatural vision or focus in our lives today. Uh, not to say that these things that have, don't have their place, but these things will never be resolved if you simply take a human solution. If you take a human solution, all, all at best you can come up with is an eye for an eye. And that's not the Christian solution. It's not the Christian solution. Uh, That's the pagan solution. That's the the Jewish solution of today, the Muslim solution of today, uh, the false religion solution. It's not the supernatural solution. And that's why this same same, uh, author explains to us, uh, this biblical scholar explains then, exactly when Jesus appeared, the Jews should have realized that he was the redeemer whom the prophets had foretold. The fulfillment of the messianic prophecies should have motivated them to hail him as the long-awaited for saviour. Should have... You know, the, the Catholics should recognize this is the mass of Catholics. And the new mass is the mass of the enemies of our faith, the Protestants, the Jews, whatever. <clears throat> it's not. But they're blind. They don't recognize it. And, and what, a, what an ignorant person like me can recognize brilliant Jew- uh, Jesuit scholars don't seem to be able to recognize today because they are spiritually blind. They might have uh, uh, an intellect, but spiritually they are blind. And the blindness today has reached the height uh, uh, of the church with the, the fish rotting at the head today. And as long as we don't <clears throat> grasp what God is actually telling us, we will be convinced of what our passions are telling us. If we, don't, uh, if we are not convinced of what God is telling us, what God is saying to us, we'll be convinced of what our passions are saying to us. One, one uh, older lady I was talking to the other day, and was just a lady who started coming to our, our parish and really convinced of what we, our work, and she said to me, oh, I was in a conversation with someone night, and I thought I had to evangelize to them, and I had to witness uh, about our Lord to them. And the person came up with um, the typical objections. And I said to them, don't question God. And I said, no, of no, the contrary. Tell anybody you want. Tell them to question God as much as they want. And God will give them the answer. Why, why did God take my husband? Why is there evil? God will answer you. But be prepared for the answer. The problem is people don't want to hear what our Lord had to say. They don't want to hear what, what God, the hard truth is going to tell us. You can ask God whatever question you want. And he'll give you the answer if you want the answer. But you may not want to hear it because it may not drive with what we want to hear today. This is the problem. It's not that God uh, is silent. God can't answer us. But we often not only cannot understand it, but even to the extent when we do, we don't want to hear it. How many times the Jews took up stones to, to uh, attack our Lord because not that they didn't understand, they understood Him perfectly, but they were enraged in what He said. They didn't want to hear it. We often do the same when priest tells us something we don't want to hear. And to be honest with you, you're going to very very, uh, very rarely hear a priest today say something you don't want to hear because most of them are dead afraid of the faithful, even the traditional priests, because they're afraid of the people saying anything against them, condemning them, denouncing them. But when you do, uh, you do get upset. I think maybe he's telling me what I need to hear. That's, uh, you know, Padre Pio, uh, how many people did he slap? men and women, sent them away, he slapped them. The best treatment he could have ever given them. How many people he threw out of the confessional, and not to mention the ones who never even made it into his confessional, he threw them out. You're not serious. You're not, you're not ready. You're not prepared. Uh, you make light of these sacred things. Imagine that priest that he lived today. Uh, not only would he be cancelled, he'd be defrocked. They wouldn't want to hear him. Uh, they'd uh, crucify him. Because he's not according to our age, our spirit, which is... Blind, uh, which is far from God. Uh, here we are called to cultivate our the garden of our soul, and almost everything you can apply to gardening in the real sense. You can apply it to uh, your soul. Gardening requires work. Good gardens don't just happen. It requires nutrients. Uh, it requires watering. It requires so many things. Weeding. Well, you need that in your life. All the other religions outside the church, for that reason, they don't have any saints because they've got no spiritual life. Uh, Judaism doesn't have any saints. No spiritual life. The Jews and the Muslims are very similar. They're both carnal-minded today. Uh, They see God as so transcendent. God is so above us. He can't be reached. There's no friendship in their religion with God. It's a master-servant relationship in their mentality today but their religion doesn't afford them. The dead religion of the Jews today, uh, empty. All about rules, external, it's external. And the danger is that we make our religion purely an external reality. Uh, We've got the latter mass. Well, the latter mass doesn't save you. It's integrating it in part of your spiritual life that does save you. Uh, Making it the foundation of your spiritual life. Then, Then when Pentecost comes, then you're transformed by the grace of the Holy Ghost. Otherwise, it's uh, uh, water on a duck's back. Uh, Buddhism, uh, it has no spiritual life. It's an empty naturalism. That's why I think it's so, so uh, blasphemous, so disgusting, that so many of the, the so-called wise uh, nuns in the modern church and the, the wise priests, they go to uh, Zen meditation. Just so empty, so dry, can offer you nothing has no grace. In fact, very often it's just an opening for the pathway of the demonic. Uh, And yet we have the greatest prayers, the greatest supernatural spiritual life, the mystics that we've never seen. Whose writings are just so profound you die of amazement. Works of St. John of the Cross, St. Teresa of Avila. The wisdom in there no religion compares to, let alone the wisdom in in the sacred scripture. Let alone the wisdom in uh, just a simple book called The Imitation of Christ. Uh, wh- where, is the, uh, where is the wisdom in any other religion compared to that? Uh, none. No, no religion comes close to, to this reality. It's The Imitation of Christ that tells us, Turn with all your heart to the Lord and forsake the miserable world, and you shall find rest for your soul. Learn to despise outward things and to give yourself to things inward and you shall see the kingdom of God come within you. For the kingdom of God is peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, and it is not given to the wicked. Christ will come to you and will show you his consolation if you prepare a worthy mansion for him within you. All his glory and beauty is from within, and there it pleases him to dwell. He often visits the inward man, giving him soothing consolation, much peace, friendship exceedingly wonderful. This is what our spiritual life offers us. You know, it's uh, Protestantism that, that... There's not been a single saint in Protestantism that's worked a single miracle. And we have hundreds and thousands of saints who've worked amazing miracles by the power of God. Protestantism doesn't even believe in sanctifying grace. For them, sanctifying grace is something purely imputed to you. They say you are made clean just because Christ said so, but actually you're still dirty. Well, it's much like a, a, a mother saying to a child uh, who's, who's uh, made a mess of their diaper, saying, I, I think you're clean because I say so. But saying so doesn't make the child clean. You actually have to clean the diaper. Uh, that's what God does to us. Not only does he clean it, he clean our soul, wash away the sin, but he fills it with his grace. This is why uh, the first greeting of the angel uh, to Mary uh, Gabriel is, Hail full of grace. You are filled with the divine life. He identifies her as being filled with life of God. Hail full of grace. He doesn't say hail highly favored one, as the Protestants interpret it, because full of grace is something foreign to them. But as long as that is foreign to them, they have no part in the supernatural order. Without that, there is no true holiness. There's no true friendship with our Lord. The foundation of that is sanctifying grace. And we grow in that grace lifelong, We're growing more and more as instruments of Almighty God in this world. As one beautiful uh, Benedictine monk said, he said, this paganism sullied, it defiled, so to speak, the natural order. Protestantism rejected it. The church, on the contrary, consecrated it. The church teaches us to elevate this world. Uh, the church teaches us to bless the things in this world, all the blessings, the sacramentals, to elevate everything in this world around us, to be used as an instrument of God. Uh, this is why, yeah, for, for somebody who's used to a happy, clappy, empty religion, the Latin Mass is foreign to them, where there is silence, there's prayer, there's Gregorian chant. Uh, it's, it's a foreign religion, where the terms are not dictated by the people or by the priest, but by the ancient ritual and the wisdom of the church. Uh, we don't tell God how we want to worship him. He tells us how he wants to be praised, venerated, adored, <clears throat> and worshipped. For modern man, that's foreign for him, because we want a religion according to what makes us feel good not what makes us be good. And this is at the heart of our problem today. And this is why, in conclusion, uh, the beautiful words of this biblical scholar, he says, Jesus did not come to rule over a kingdom in any earthly political sense. His mission was to conquer sin and Satan, and this end he could achieve only by suffering and dying. Much education was needed before the apostles grasped this. However, after the resurrection of their master and the descent of the Holy Ghost, they stood up fearlessly and preached Christ crucified. It had finally become clear that the kingdom of God upon earth does not consist in ease and glory, but in suffering and sacrifice. And this is what gave them the the courage, the conviction, to go forth with the power of the Holy Ghost to be living witnesses of our Lord. So dear friends, let us simply conclude uh, to you today with the beautiful words of the oration of today's Mass. O almighty and everlasting God, make us always bear towards you a devoted will and serve your majesty with a sincere heart. Through Christ our Lord.